Welcome everyone to the Healing Place Podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. Excited to have you here with us, listening in, and also excited to have another wonderful guest. I will be doing some introductions in just a moment, but just wanted to welcome you here first to this space filled with motivation and inspiration and healing stories. Hi everybody, so I am super excited to have with me Chaplain, Chaplain Chris Hoy today. So welcome Chris and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate the opportunity and appreciate your podcast and hearing the other stories of people that are involved in the trauma healing business and, and uh, people's personal stories and why they got involved. And So I'll just share a little bit about that for myself. Um, I am a chaplain, so I'm coming from kind of a ministry perspective in working with trauma. And my specific setting right now is, um, or you could, I'm kind of fond of saying my congregation now is 32 emotionally disturbed uh, children that are in residence. It's kind of the um, uh, inner mountain where I I work in Helena, Montana. it's a little bit like the ICU for children that haven't um, haven't found healing anywhere else, and and I guess that would be true of a lot of other residential settings for children. We get kids that are international adoptees with severe trauma, um, uh, both prior to and then they bring that trauma with them into an adoptive family. A lot of kids out of the foster care system, of course. Um, drug-affected kids, kids on the spectrum, um, children diagnosed with any number of uh, mental health needs. Um, but probably the most common diagnosis for our kids is, is PTSD. Okay. Um, right. uh, the, the trauma that they have experienced uh, very early on in life has caused these relational, uh, spiritual, emotional uh wounds that they just need help getting over right um and and as the chaplain my role is um i it kind of depends on the family um some families view my role as pretty essential to their child's care others um they're happy to have me work with their kids but a lot of times their their own spiritual journey or their experience with with faith or with the church or with their fellowship or their synagogue um, or, or other place of worship has not been positive because they haven't found the uh, acceptance and uh, unconditional love that uh, that they need to make it through um, make it through their trauma, their child's trauma, what they're experiencing as a family. So well, yeah, that generational that generational trauma. Yeah. Um, just has, I mean, it's it certainly had an impact in my personal life. But seeing it, I worked in an agency in Cincinnati, um, and yeah, and you just see it, you see it carry on, um, generation yeah. to generation. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's the that's the ministry I've been in for the last six years. I've been in Intermountain for six years and and deeply involved in that work. Um, and so there's an aspect of the work that is that. Um, on the ground, interacting with children, uh, doing uh, uh, 
chapel activities, but it looks probably more like a Bible club or vacation Bible school. If your listeners are, are familiar uh, to that, it's not, you know, sit in rows and, and listen to me talk. Right. Or, you know, we sing songs, we play games. Um, so interactive. Interactive. Yes. And really trying to build on the themes that they're doing in treatment. Um, I don't do... I don't do therapy. I'm not a licensed therapist, um, but I I know enough about the work and what our therapists are doing and what our treatment model is about um, that I can I can supplement and I can integrate uh, themes of, of faith and uh, and resilience and perseverance and hopefully do that in ways that. That helped to turn some light bulbs on. Yes. Well, what an important, and I think faith is one of those factors that, I mean, at least in my opinion, and everything that I see just isn't talked about enough. Um, And what a critical, critical factor that is in the healing process. Um, You know, when I when I give my presentations to people and talk about what my journey, um, and I think the foundation for me was faith. you know, one of the one of the foundations was having faith. Um, yeah, and even though things were so chaotic, um, right. I did have that. I did have that faith, which I think gave me my resilience. So yeah. Yeah, that's um, ultimately. You know, the 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 treatment model at Intermountain is uh, relational developmental. So the idea that trauma has made some sort of break in a child's development at a key relational stage. Um, So where they were hopefully forming some secure attachment and and learning really to trust their world and that they had the power to explore it, uh, maybe there was an abusive setting or or neglect. And so uh, something that really developmentally should have been an asset for a child ends up being something where there's a deficit and then you get sort of all all, all sort of uh, we call maladaptive behaviors that just means that uh, their normal was not right. everybody else's oh, normal. right right and, and so uh, what what they did how they responded really made a whole lot of sense you know a, a child that uh, you know is in foster care and their parents are are confused as to why they're affording food and shoving it under their mattress or in the, you know, in the in the floor vents, um, and then it stinks up the house because it's there and rots. So they, you know, to them it doesn't seem, uh, you know, it's not rational behavior. But for a child who didn't know where their next meal was and, and on the edge of starvation, whether in, you know, a, a previous setting or overseas before being adopted, um, that is really makes a lot of sense right Right. and so working a child through uh, through enough of their trauma story so you can understand where those points of of relationship are broken down um, makes a lot of sense so you can imagine you know uh, almost without fail when I sit down with the family at intake uh, when they come to Intermountain and uh, we're sitting down they're paperwork and meeting with billing and passing off meds to nurses and then the chaplain comes in and um, some of them have had some real deep woundedness because of not uh, not getting a lot of support from their faith system um, and I sit down and say well tell me a little bit about 
um, about your experience, your faith experience. What what's going to help me work with this child so that um, so this could be an asset for them, could really help them in treatment. And nine times out of ten, I hear you. We see where we attended church regularly until, and then what they explain is that um, you know their child got to be so disruptive that um, maybe they felt embarrassed attending or or somebody made it very clear that they needed to remove themselves and kind of clean their act up before they returned. And right. that just breaks my heart every time sure. because um, the other aspect that I think is important for your listeners to know um, and was, was part of my story that I shared with you is that this is personal to my family as well, because we're uh, twice adoptive uh, parents from, uh, both of our children are from China, uh, 12-year-old daughter and 11-year-old son, and they both um, came with various levels of, of trauma in their background and, and how they are working through it, and, and their responses are not always gonna be another child's response to the same set of stimuli. And, and our son, uh, has struggled more than our daughter. Um, and to go through that as a ministry professional and as a parent and as somebody that's trying to um, equip churches and, and fellowships to better meet the needs of these children and these families, uh, to go through it myself, um, I saw that, that there was a real obvious need. Um, yes. And... So I'll kind of stop there. I'll let you jump back in because oh, sure, I do no. have a tendency to ramble. I will just go on and right. on. Right. So no, it's wonderful. I love it. Jump in. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that you just brought up, you know, was your son and, and when you had sent back these amazing answers that we're going to, I'm going to put share on my blog and then we're going, okay. I'm going to share that with you. But, um, you know, my, my son as well, one of my sons um, struggled horribly during a period of time with anger. Um, and so I remember having those discussions. He's, he's very faithful, um, has tremendous faith in God and um, going through that with him in that anger part of it. And yeah, and so seeing that journey and, and again, you know, working with kiddos um, in this agency setting and um, just seeing these kids struggles, I don't know, it just helps. I, it helped me understand a little better where these parents were coming from and kids. So, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's heartbreaking because um, at a at a time, and, and I don't know if this matches your story at all, but um, we persevered through it. Like we we said we're going to keep bringing our kid to church, and our church is just going to have to deal with it. And luckily, we attend an, attend an awesome church, um, a small little church called Headwaters Covenant in Helena, Montana. Um, to give them a little shout out, um, they are they're about as trauma informed a church as I've found. Um, there's a number of mental health professionals that attend there, which helps. Yes. Uh, and so it's just kind of part of the DNA of the people that God has brought together there to fellowship. But um, uh, it's it's a it's a difficult thing because you're a, a child that is. Um, dealing with anger more often than not, it's from a really deep sadness and a really deep sense of shame. And that was certainly our son's uh, experience and, and our daughter's to, uh, to an extent uh, too, although her, her sense of shame and, and, and 
issues of self-worth project themselves into she's supergirl she's going to be awesome at everything and um and really excels and and sometimes we miss we miss those kids and that's still trauma affected behavior right as well because she has a really hard time not being perfect at everything. Right, that was me. <laughs> I, a, I get it. Yeah, that's a horrible burden to bear. And yes. I, I, that's kind of how I dealt with my own. I mean, I'm not nearly, uh, you know, my my trauma history or the things that I grew up kind of dealing with um, sort of pale in comparison to what my children endured and what a lot of the kids were through. But but it was enough that that I have those same tendencies to be perfectionistic as well. Right. Right. And I know what a what a burden that is to to have ninety nine positives and then that one negative comment or one negative interaction just wrecks you. Yes. Um, and so that's that's my um, my daughter's experience. But my son, that shame um, at the deep seated part of his soul that he's broken and not worthy, and that that's where all the anger and the reactivity was coming from um and he had a lot of trouble at school um because all they saw was the misbehavior right Um, they saw a kid that that would do really great and was was sharp and and energetic and a good friend and then something would snap for him um his trauma would be triggered and then um he just found it so unbearable he had to act out um and and so um, trying to come alongside children and families that have that same experience and let them know, um, you know, I think I started off this rambling dialogue by saying at that time when you need that support, you know, when you're going through that is the very time that that, that shame of your child, the, the shame that then gets passed on to you as to the inadequacy as a parent to meet those needs. Right. Uh, the tendency is to drop back um, and and to kind of insulate yourself and just kind of go into survival mode. And so at a time when you need those supports and you need those relationships and you need that understanding, um, you're withdrawing. Maybe there is a bit of judgment on behalf of individuals in your faith community. And so there, there's this widening gap that unless ministries are really purposeful about educating themselves and equipping themselves to put um, put things in place to to work with these families, um, I don't see it getting any better. Right. Uh, no, I think, I mean, trauma-informed, having trauma-informed um, society, trauma-informed, yeah, churches, trauma-informed schools, all of that is just critical for helping us heal, like you said, this, this gaping wound that just, right. yeah, is, is evident. So, um, and again, I, you know, I know you've, answered a lot of these questions, but I'm going to repeat them here. So it gives you an opportunity to talk about it. So if you could reach as many people in the world with your message, you know, who's your audience? Who do you want to reach? Sure. Well, um, as much as I've talked about my passion for families and children, um, I, before being in Intermountain, um, I was in parish or or congregational ministry. I was a pastor. and so my my primary audience I would probably describe as church church leadership, um, denominations, lay leaders, uh, influencers, those that have the 
the power to make the sort of systemic change in an individual church or in a group of churches um, or or faith settings um, that will have a lasting impact. Um, because, you know, you can, um, you know, I've been a youth pastor before, I've been an associate pastor before, you can come in and, and be fired up about something and for the period of time that you're there in that faith community, maybe you make something go, but it's more uh, your baby, you know, right. it's more your, your thing. And then when you move on, it kind of fizzles away um, because there was, it, it didn't really change the culture, it didn't change the way um, that, that God, the, the people that God has called together for that group, uh, how they view their role in ministry. So to be able to address um, pastors and leaders and, and those that have the power to make those sort of cultural changes, I kind of see that as my, uh, my primary audience. And uh, I sort of stumbled into how I address that as my audience by, um, by taking this position at Intermount and being the chaplain. Um, I have, I've always been a bit of a student. I like the discipline of, of uh, um, learning and, and growing. And so was doing some doctoral work uh, that kind of hit an impasse and then um, what approached um, the place where I had gotten my, my ministry degree, my Master's of Divinity, and um, they were starting a new doctoral program. And they had this kind of amorphous, big heading of cross-cultural ministry cohort. They were gonna grab a group of people from different settings, different races, different genders, and, and, and put us all together to work on how do we take the, the best of what the church does? How do we take the gospel and and do a good job cross-culturally. Sure. And so I called him up and said, uh, the culture I'd like to reach is those struggling with children's mental health. And, and I don't think we're doing a great job of it as a church. And I feel like I'm in a setting where I can take the best of what Intermountain does in, in our sort of clinical setting and and take it outside those walls and and interpret it to the church in ways that could be really helpful and really supportive um and so that started about five years ago um and wound up writing a, a curriculum called bruised reeds and smoldering wicks that was my next uh, question was to talk yeah, was i asking so, you about that so yeah um yeah so that um what i found is i was writing articles in the local newspaper, had opportunities to, to preach or to um, do some training in churches is that, um, and it's the same question I would have had as, as a pastor. Um, churches have a multitude of things that they could be about that engage. And so um, the question that I had and that was coming back to me after a training was, well, okay, but how does this connect with our purpose? Like, is this, um, this trauma-informed stuff, is this really, um, is it something central enough to who we are that we could invest ourselves in? Um, and so ACE's connection, I know we're both on yes. there, an excellent site. Yes. Um, I love the, the interaction that happens there. Um, about two years ago, uh, 
kind of as my own personal journey, I, I thought, I'm, I think I'm going to just write a series of articles on, was Jesus ministry trauma-informed? You know, kind of a takeoff on... I love it. Yeah. And I just, because I thought, if I if I can solve that, if I can answer that question for myself, then I think um, not only will that um, give me the, the impetus to really connect in a way that I need to with the, with with churches and leadership to explain why this I feel this is so important, but also um, you know uh, ultimately we're even those that aren't Christian emulate Jesus and think he's an awesome example. So if, if I could show my reasoning why if I could show Jesus was trauma informed, then maybe maybe people could understand. Okay, this is important and, and it does can, it can shape our spirituality. Sure. It's something that isn't, um, it isn't something taken from outside of the church world or the faith world and kind of put on top of it, forced into this thought or belief system. Um, it can really be ingrained and, and meshed with, with what somebody believes. So that was the, that article sort of started the process of, of writing the curriculum and it's, um, with very little promotion, I mean, other than Ace's connection, right. I don't, I don't know how people are hearing about it. Um, I've, I've got it on my own website under resources, the intermountainministry.org, uh, where I kind of keep our our donors and our supporters up to date on what's going on in the ministry. But um, other than those places, I don't know how people are hearing about it, other than maybe word of mouth, right. um, and hopefully through this podcast. Um, but bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. It's um, it's currently a six-week study. I'm, now, I'm in the process of expanding it to make it eight weeks because of some of the feedback that I've received in the last year. And it's um, you know praise God it's gone to. Uh, I got an order from a church in South Carolina the other day, so that made the 35th state. That's, That's fantastic. And uh, two provinces. And uh, and there was a a human trafficking ministry uh, in Cambodia where uh, uh, a mental health professional there uh, ordered a copy, uh, you know, maybe just as another resource on the shelf. But I was really honored to think that somebody yeah. vital work, you know, in a part of the world where there's such a need would even think that I had something to add to that conversation. Yeah. So the, the the purpose of that curriculum is to is to take uh, trauma informed principles and kind of explain that biblically and theologically how they they match up. Um, and so that's the the hope is that it's kind of it's a Bible study that um, hopefully makes sense in a lot of settings. You know, a Sunday school class or a small group or um, or a pastor could use it as the starting point for a sermon series. Um, to just kind of walk through people, walk people through what is it? What does it mean to be trauma informed, and then what then is a trauma informed ministry? Right, that's awesome. Well, and I loved like when I read through the you know like the week the the curriculum, um, right. you know how in the fact Jesus connection like week one with children and right yeah. there, I mean right there is just very powerful. Um, starting out with uh, his role. Um, in children's lives so yeah and then 
Week two is trauma-informed. Week three, I mean, so everything, every, everything you have each week, you touch on something that um, responded in his. I just, I just love it. Like week six, responding to trauma within the compassionate kingdom of God. And key idea, God's kingdom stands apart from this world's kingdoms, uh, bringing justice and mercy where trauma and heartache have prevailed. I mean, how beautiful. Yeah. What yeah. what a great um, way to bring bring in that message. Yeah. Well, and that's um, you know the hopefully each week kind of builds on itself. You know the the first week um, sort of explains you know what what trauma is, what adverse childhood experiences for those that are familiar with the ACE study and and all the work that's kind of been spurred on by that. Um, just how uh, you know that Jesus and the children um, we look similar enough in age so I, I hope I'm not going to step on any toes here but um, the images that were in like my children's Bible growing up of, oh yeah of Jesus and the children were everybody was pretty lily white and 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 um, when I preach on that passage I I, I usually if, if the church has got a screen I put an image up from my children's Bible and I say um, I love this image uh, because it's from my childhood. It, it gave me a connection to Jesus. But now I also saw that there was a, a double meaning to it and something that uh, with with some of my own traumas and my own difficulty um, always sort of bothered me about this picture, and I didn't know why. And and I take responses. I like a little call and response when I preach. And, and people, you know, they're, they're usually quick to pick up on the fact that they're um, – you know, there, there's only one ethnicity represented. Right, racial right. disparity, right? Yeah, with the Jesus' wife when he wasn't white. You yes. know, things like that. Or, right. Um, or, or just the, the fact that even in our church culture now, you wouldn't leave a single man alone with that many children. You right, know, right. Those, so they pick up on those sort of things, and, but uh, very rarely um, do they get at what uh, kind of my visceral response was, all these children look so clean. Right. You know, they look so clean physically, but they also look clean uh, spiritually and emotionally and relationally. That that's, that um, there's certainly been times throughout my faith where I feel like, yeah, God, it makes sense. God would have no problem hanging out with this group of people. Right. But but I don't I don't fit. You know, if people really knew uh, really knew me, I, I wouldn't be welcoming. And that's what um, that's what I've experienced. That's what my certainly my son has experienced. I think everybody's experienced to some degree, right. but especially yeah. those that have got that trauma background. They don't. Um, they, you know, that the power of that trauma to turn somebody's what should be a, a love of self. Yes. You know, Jesus yeah. said, "Love your neighbor as yourself," and we kind of skip over that second part and and we we think if i just love my neighbor and love god really well and i do all these sort of religious activities that will improve my sense of self-worth then i'll know i'm a good person right but if you don't at your core feel like you're worthy of god's love you're worthy of the community of faith um that will it will find its way out it's it's gonna it's it can't possibly not affect the way you're going to interact um, with God and with other people. And so the curriculum kind of starts there. And then you bring up week six. There's a reason 
talking about systems and, and structures are, are left until people find a ways into it because churches have re-traumatized people. Um, churches have been the source of a lot of people's traumatic experiences. Um, you know, we, we could look at the headlines today and see the, the damage of uh, sexual abuse sure. in, in the church. and. Well, I'm so, Catholic, so yeah, for absolutely. to so, know what you know, yes, what's going on in Philadelphia now with the priests, it's just it 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 hurts my heart. I mean, and also having experienced sexual abuse at the hands of yeah. a choir director and the hands of a religious education yeah. director, and yet I'm still I realized, you know, I came to realize that those people didn't represent God in my relationship with Him, so I maintained my faith. Um, but how many people have turned away? Right. Um, because of yeah, what they're either seeing well, in media. Even on a, yeah, even on a lesser degree, you know, there's there's kind of you know the substance abuse and, and mental health uh, administration um, years ago kind of came up with this is what it means to be trauma informed, um, and so the curriculum walks people through that, you know, realizing the wide widespread impact of trauma. You know, so just kind of education. That's kind of where the curriculum starts. Um, then recognizing the signs and symptoms. You know, what does it, um, what does it mean? Not necessarily be an expert. You know, you don't have to be a, as a attendee at a church or somebody that attends a fellowship or a synagogue. You don't have to all of a sudden become a therapist and be able to read cues. But a lot of uh, a lot of us that have some trauma in our background, we just have. Um, we can kind of see it. Yes. We can also kind of smell it. We can yes. sense it um, when that's going on for somebody else. Um, and so to learn to kind of trust that and educate others into um, recognizing what trauma does and how um, how that shows forth in certain signs or symptoms. You, you become almost sort of a behavioral, emotional translator. Right. And, you know, I think that's true even in... Um, I mean, and I think it goes both ways because when I was working with kids, I was in a school setting working with kiddos, um, and I had this little girl come to me, and um, we were talking, and she was talking about uh, being abused. And, um, you know, my role then was to then, you know, do a referral to a therapist within our agency. And so, um, but at one point she completely stopped talking, and she looked at me, and she said, you get it, don't you? And I thought, oh my Lord, like I had goosebumps up my arms because I thought, and I hadn't said anything, like I was just, you know, being compassionate with her. And I thought, holy cow, like she just, there's just that, you just get it. So, yeah, Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then then once you kind of get it, um, you know, then that Samson definition goes a little bit further and says, okay, well, how, how then as a group, of people or an individual are you going to respond um how, how are you going to integrate those principles so that's um that's where that sixth lesson kind of comes in um is that it's it's uh, it's not a it's not a program it's not a you know you don't buy the curriculum and go through the six weeks and then poof you're right. you're trauma informed. But I try to explain to people is then it becomes uh, it's almost like that scriptural story of, of Saul who becomes Paul and and he has that 
interaction with the risen Lord on the Damascus road and is struck blind and then you know, goes into Damascus and, and he's healed through somebody that previously he would have hunted. You know, he would have been an enemy of his and the scales fall from his eyes and then he sees what's really real. Um, I feel that's kind of the same way once you understand trauma and its effects in people and, and the ripples it has through relationships and through workplaces and through church structures and denominational structures and how um, everybody's kind of living out their story in ways that aren't always super healthy. Right. Um, that, um, that those scales sort of fall from your eyes and go, oh my goodness, why, right. why would we ever think this was a good idea? You know, and that's going to be different. I, I can't say, you know, do this, this, and this, you know, or, or take down this in your churches and do this instead, or sing these songs and don't sing these songs. Right. Because it's not, um, it, it's, it's really contextualized. It's going well, to be different in, in, with, for every group of people in it. And, and each individual as well. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah I had um, I had given a presentation at a university, and I had the professors afterwards. You know, I, I did a question Q and A, and they were asking. You know, it was it was this presentation was shortly after a mass shooting, and so mm -hmm. they were saying, how do we make our classrooms feel safe for the students on campus? And um, you know. I could certainly direct them to trauma-informed school, you know, settings, you know, websites, and you know, research. Um, but it is my rec my biggest recommendation to them was, you know, ask ask your students, you know, what works for them, and if if they're comfortable, if if having their backs to the door, sitting in their desks, then change the classroom around. If you know, do ask them what makes what works because it's yeah. it is going to be like you said based upon the context of who's in your group you know who's in your church who's in your school yeah right so yeah and it you know and it's um it's like any other movement you know trauma-informed uh trauma-informed movement um as soon as some new idea or a concept seems to make its way into mainstream media then it gets lampooned <laughs> right. yeah, it, gets, it gets uh you know these caricatures of of uh you know making fun of college students and their gripes about oh, microaggressions right. or whatever you know it, it's taken to its extreme so that people can dismiss it because change is hard right. or the idea that we might have something to learn right. uh, and grow can be something that causes people to be defensive so another aspect of, of the curriculum that i'm pretty proud of is that um you know, there's a week on, you know, does being trauma-informed mean we don't say the hard things? Um, and so sometimes I'll, I'll sit down with uh, a pastor and I'll say, you know, being trauma-informed or realizing that you've got domestic abuse survivors or, or those that are uh, going through an abuse uh, situation currently and are coming to your church, um, you might realize, okay, they're going to be triggered by singing a song about the blood of the Lamb. Right. Because the images, you know, the, the idea of, of blood or sacrifice or whatever, that, that's going to trigger. Now, that doesn't mean you never sing those songs anymore. What trauma-informed means is that whatever you're doing, you're doing purposefully and with the understanding of the effect that it, it might have right. on, on people. You know, if you're 
if you're going to preach about worry to a bunch of uh, folks with anxiety disorders, it changes the way you message that. So people don't, so people come across, uh, walk away feeling uplifted and encouraged rather than having more shame dumped on their head. Yes. Like, okay, now God really hates the fact that I'm anxious about it. Right. Um, so once you have that filter, once you have those scales fall from your eyes, whatever metaphor you use, it it does change the way you structure things and communicate things, but not in a way that, that robs that faith community of, of what they are, of what's essential to them. Nobody has to abandon the gospel. Nobody has to stop talking about Jesus. You know, if it's important to you to refer to God as God the Father, you don't have to change that. But if it's, but in another setting, if if they feel called to make some of those changes, I feel that's also very faithful. Um, so that contextualization is hard. Um, but one of the feedbacks I, I did get from the curriculum being out of here was um, give us give us a little bit in terms of what others are doing. You know, help us know what to do next or or how does this a little bit more on what does this look like in adults? Because um, I I don't apologize for focusing on children because I think in a lot of cases we as adults are just, you know, we're we're grown up kids. The kid is still <laughs> right. there. So if we if we experience childhood trauma, that's still, that's affected the way we are as adults. So I, um, I don't apologize for starting there with Jesus and the children, kind of using that as a way. But, um, but it, I, um, so I'm excited about this revision and adding a little bit more. And and um, there are some some churches out there that have engaged the materials and they have started trauma-informed initiatives. And so, to to not necessarily give people a, a blueprint, but to say, others that are on this journey, here's where it's taken. Um, how do and, how do people get a hold of it? Where? How do... Um, well, I probably the easiest way is to go to um, the Inner Mountain Ministry. So okay. it's all it's all run together. Okay. Uh, you know, Inter, Inter Mountain because here in Montana we're amongst the mountains, so. Um, Intermountain and then ministry, uh, the ministry that's going on in Intermountain. So I, sometimes I try to give people those cues to help memory. Um, and uh, intermountainministry.org. Um, and then on the, the resource tab, the okay. first thing that will pop up. Um, also, a lot of folks have Googled it. Uh, my name is kind of hard, even though it's said hoy, it's H-A-U-G-H-E-E. Now, if you can get that right, it helps because <laughs> right. there are a lot of ways out there. So if you go, boy, you know, type in boy and trauma informed, usually it'll pop up. Um, <clears throat> but um, that'd probably be the easiest way to, to track Wonderful. it down. With you. And I'll put that out on social media yeah. as well. That's great. Appreciate sure. that. One of the things that I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about was um, any myths or facts that you'd like to clarify for people. Mm. Well, um, kind of touching on where we, what we just, some of the ground we covered, um, one of the myths I'd really like to dispel is that, um, that tra trauma for ministry is a program where it's a, you know, do these six weeks or do these eight weeks and then poof, you can right. and, you know, hang your shingle up and say, we're a trauma-informed ministry. It's, 
gets much more involved than that. Um, and also that idea that that somehow adopting these principles will would rob a faith community of, of what God has called them to. I, I believe it's a way of being more effective at communicating the gospel. Because like I said, these families, these children, um, they, they're pulling away and the gap is just getting further. And, and they're getting further and further away. Um, and so finding ways we can connect, that's, um, that's so important. So that, that myth that somehow uh, pastors would have to become trained therapists or Sunday school teachers would have to become mental health professionals in order to be effective at being trauma-informed. That's, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I don't have my answers in front of you. Is, what, did I, what did I write down as one of the myths? Uh, let's wow. see, hold on, I've, I've got it here in front of me. So um, okay. you just said that it's not a fad, it's not a gimmick, yeah. it's not a program. Um, and then, uh, hold on. Oh, you and you'd already talked about the whole thing about having people when you talk about worry, you know, mm, and then yeah. talking to people who have anxiety and how you know there can you almost get more of an unworthiness factor, right. you know. Right. And so, and it, like you said, if you're aware of or just approach it being trauma informed, because a lot of people don't wear their trauma. And right. you don't know that they've been traumatized. And people say, would say to me all the time, until I started putting my story out, and they'd hear my story, they'd say, oh my, like you're the happiest person I know. You're always smiling <laughs> and you radiate joy. And um, yeah. and so, yeah, to have, when they heard my story, they were, it just, like it didn't click for them. That There's no way that you could have gone through what you've been through. I guess so. that, that would be another myth, is that, that sometimes when people... Um, you know, sometimes the scales falling from your eyes is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> you know, when you when you start to realize how prevalent trauma is, it could um, it could be re it could be really disheartening. Um, right. It could it could almost you know depress you unless you realize that 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 adversity that trauma is not someone's destiny. I mean, you're you're living proof. So many survivors are living proof that that um, that traumatic growth is is not that's not a myth. Like right. sometimes going through something really awful, um, that pain can be our power then yes. to to not only find self healing but then to bring healing to others. And I I think um, you know that's why some of the movements that are out there wider socially in terms of the, the Me Too movement and and some uh, you know some well-known athletes and actors and actresses coming out and sharing their mental health struggles is so powerful because it um, it it doesn't um, it hasn't totally taken the stigma away. Right. There's still obviously a stigma around mental health, and but I think we're making strides to help yes. people realize yeah. that. Um, you know, if you've got a trauma history, if you've got a mental health struggle, um, that's an important part of who you are, but it doesn't define you. Well, and I, I agree with what you say in the fact that, um, you know, when you do look at the numbers, like, you know, this many million people have PTSD or this many million people have been abused, this many girls, this many boys. But then I, I like to look at it because I always try to focus on the positives is, um, look at how many millions of people have, have found resilience. 
Look at right. how many millions of people have um, maintained their faith. Or, and so, you know, that's, then we look at those people and say, how'd you do it? That's, that's yeah. what my curiosity is, you know, how'd you overcome, how'd you survive it? And, and find out what, what it is that, that does um, build resilience in children. Um, right. And again, I think faith, my personal opinion is faith is a very strong part of it. And you know, and I tell people again, I'm not saying, you know, whether it's faith in, in an angel, whether it's faith in, you know, Jesus, whether it's God, whether whatever it is your belief in, believe in something, believe in Absolutely. something. Um, yeah, just to have that sense that there's something bigger than yourself yes. and that, that the story is still being written. Right. Um, that sometimes just that little seed is enough to, to plant hope. Yes. You know, that the way things are right now, how, how lousy I feel or how bad I feel my circumstances, um, this isn't, this isn't the ending point. Right. Um, there is someone or something or, uh, you know, God or, or, or spiritual power, whatever somebody chooses to lean on. Um, you know, I just heard, um, one of the former uh, presidents of Intermountains Board passed away recently and went to his memorial yesterday. And um, some of his words were shared as a part of that memorial service. And one that really caught me was uh, a message that he shared that everybody leans on something. Yeah. You know? so, so whatever that something you lean on is, if that's, um, you know, if that's your faith, if that's your, um, uh, if that's your spirituality, ultimately, um, if that's something that's solid and you can rely on, that's going to help take you through, uh, through that journey of, of recovery from trauma and kind of integrating that, figuring out, okay, what does this, how, how now do I view myself right. and my place in the world? Um, not have my trauma um, define me, um, but it's an important part of who I am. Sure. I mean, how I'm carrying myself forward. Yeah, beautiful. And I couldn't agree more. And that's what I said, not have your tra trauma define you. I, I yeah. absolutely agree with that. Um, so what, what resources and support have you utilized um, in, along your journey as well, from your tr own trauma you know, history as well as what you're doing in your sure. ministry? Well, I think um, this is always a hard one because in in ministry, um, I was kind of I was kind of brought up in a um, a spirituality that was always pretty intellectualized, and so our answer was always to hand somebody a book. And if you're if you're in survival mode, you don't have time to read a book, right? So I um, so things that have been helpful to me when I'm in my own survival mode. Um, I love the the um, I love the Aces Connection site, mm -hmm. you know, because you you can go on there and there's thousands upon thousands of resources. You can usually find something that kind of speaks to you in that moment and takes you 15 minutes. Right. Right. Uh, I I really appreciate the ministry of Key Key Ministry as um, a group out of Ohio. Um, I I don't know. How, Having a last name that's hard to pronounce, um, I'm never sure that I'm getting Steve's name right. I think it's Persevich. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's written a book that I had the chance to review um, as it was coming out earlier this year called The Church and Mental Health. 
um, which is an excellent research, uh, uh, excellent book in terms of if a you know if a church is looking at doing this. Um, if you're an individual or a, a family that's working with a child um, that's struggling in this way, um, Intermountain does have some resources. Um, there's a book called Be Childwise, um, and like I said. Like I said, that's not my first place to go because it's a thick book. It's probably an inch and a half, but it um, it's broken up into kind of pretty digestible chunks. Um, and and that can be found through Intermountain uh, if people wanted to reach out and, and get that resource. Um, uh, Aces Overcomers and, uh, is a California-based ministry. They've got a, um, they've got a curriculum that's kind of um, more adverse childhood experience focused. It's not necessarily about being trauma informed, but it's more about an, an individual working through their own story. Um, and then um, also uh, their COPE24 is another website. And Renee, um, she's, I don't know that the study is out yet, but um, was an, another study that she shared with me to, to review and kind of get some uh, get some thoughts on um, that is uh, going to be a Bible study on uh, Genesis and kind of how you can see the, the trauma and the dysfunctionality in the families of the book of Genesis and um, using that as a platform for a a small group or a Bible study. Um, yeah, it's just exciting to see how that is exciting. That's <laughs> that's kind of a cool concept, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah I like that. And it's um, it's been awesome that you know when I kind of first put myself out there with that, you know, kind of what would Jesus do? You know, right. what Jesus found informed. Um, I another reason that I was doing it was that I didn't see a whole lot out there, and then. Um, the wonderful thing about putting yourself out there is that sometimes that kind of gives other people the courage to raise their hand and say, Hey, I'm over here too. And I've been doing this in my own little circle and you start to build those connections. Yeah. It's, it's exciting to, to see that and yes. to make those connections. And that's, uh, you know, something that drew me um, to you, Terry, was that, that philosophy of, Hey, we're, we're better as we're in this together and we share one another's story. We, we lift one another up and let people know uh, these voices that are in this, you know, trauma affected healing work. Yes. Um, so just really, really appreciate you and this opportunity. Oh, and, thank and, you so much. Thank you. And it's, it's neat to see, you know, that um, I'm sure as I, if somebody's listening to this, they're going to go check out key ministry or they're going to look up Coke 24 um, or they're going to order a book or chase down the curriculum. And that's going to, that's going to lead them to another conversation that, you know, somebody else who's been in the trenches and, and has been doing this work and nobody knows about, somebody's going to hear about them. And that, to me, that's just really exciting. Yes. And I, I, I love that concept too of, of, yeah, like lifting each other up and shining a light on, on the work that's being done. And I just think, you know, what you, you are doing is absolutely wonderful. So thank you for what you do as well. Um, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. 
Um, one of the other things, and we're going over, but I really want to continue our conversation because I, I love what you're having to say, and um, I hope it's okay if you still have time. Yeah, I do. Okay, good. Um, so one of the things that I had asked was, you know, how you overcame your own trauma and parenting a trauma-affected child. Um, and mm -hmm. I loved the quote that you had given that someone had told you was, this won't be the first time you deal with this and how trauma is reoccurring. Um, we have these triggers yeah. um, that, that bring it back to the surface. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one of, one of the things we talk about um, up at Intermountain with the kids is that, you know, those, uh, those behaviors or the way those triggers affect us and then the behaviors that, that spill out or the, um, uh, the way we find ourselves reacting that aren't, you know, it's almost like if you could step back in that moment, you wouldn't be super proud of yourself. You know, you wouldn't, I'm like, well, that wasn't the best way to handle that. <laughs> right. But um, until a new, you know, until a new pathway is formed, until you're, um, until you have enough grace with yourself to realize, all right, this is where I'm at. Like, this is, this is going to be the response I have. You know, I, I, um, I tell my wife, I said, you know, I, and my kids, I feed my feelings, you know, like we grew up, we grew up feeding our feelings. So, uh, when I'm stressed out, when I'm sad, when I'm overwhelmed, um, you know, even right now, I was a little stressed out even about this interaction. So I've got a brownie sitting inside, <laughs> but I haven't touched it because it would be rude to eat while we're talking, but it's sitting there. It's, that's my comfort. Right? Yes. So, right. Once you're sort of, um, once you're sort of self-aware, then you can begin to tinker and find a different path. And, and it kind of, um, like I started saying, with the kids, we, we normalize behaviors. You know, so the stuff that 20 years ago when I first got into children's and youth ministry, um, you know, if I had a child with a sexual addiction or if I had a kid that was cutting, it probably would have grossed me out. I wouldn't have known how to deal with it. I probably, in my own ignorance, would have would have heaped more shame on that kid. You know, like just slap them on the hand and say, don't do that. Right. Um, and and all that would have had the effect of doing is just causing that kid to just get better at hiding it. Um, so to normalize, like, yeah, absolutely. It's totally normal for a six-year-old child that's been sexually abused to be acting that out sure. with your children and and not be grossed out by that, not be um, not put a whole lot of energy around it in terms of how do we correct this behavior, but how do we understand the emotion behind it? And so, um, you know, the question was about how do I, how have I dealt, what are the resources that have helped me with my own trauma story, my own parenting a, a traumatized child is that's, that's a big, that's a big part of it. A lot of times I tell groups that the only thing you get from this training or from this sermon about trauma-informed ministry is that the key to trauma being trauma-informed is to go from that place of saying, what's wrong with yes. that individual? What's wrong with that child? Why, why am I seeing this behavior and how can I make it go away to what must have happened? Right. What, 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 usually really awful thing must have happened to this child or to this individual for them to react this way, to have, have become so angry at something I said that I 
I thought was pretty innocuous, was was pretty tame. Um, you know, why why did this moment of having this child sit on my knee and we're we're reading a story now all of a sudden she's she's grinding into my leg and getting a secondary right. sexual satisfaction from the moment and and if you don't um, if you aren't sort of equipped right um, if you don't have you know that's why the first that first step to being trauma informed is realize you know just understand the effects and and then sure. you're not gonna shame that poor little six year old girl right that she doesn't know what she's doing and why she's doing it um it's become ingrained into her her pattern of behaviors in the same way as that you know um if you're the recess duty at school and you know it's calm one moment and then the next minute there's an uproar and kids are throwing fists there's probably a reason yeah Yes. Um, that's not necessarily always going to be connected to a child's trauma history, um, but if you have that as a as an additional added filter, uh, you know, if you understand that, you know, that that child's coming from a home where, um, you know, domestic violence is a right exposure to violence, that, right? Absolutely. It's like if you have a conflict, somebody gets hit. That's, yes. You know, sort of start from the point of sort of normalizing that for yourself normalizing that for your child, understanding, um, you know, we've grown so far in terms of uh, being able to interpret uh, some of our children's behavior and, and the emotion that's underlying that so that our initial reaction isn't coming from that. There's something wrong from you. You're not doing what I want you to do right, right. now. Would you please just do what I want you to do because that'll make me feel more <laughs> Right, right. Um, and that can be hard as a parent to realize that that, um, that a lot of our, our reaction is coming from our own desire for, for control or, or discomfort in the situation. We just want it to end as quickly as possible. Right. So then we end up doing something that just exacerbates the situation rather than really getting at the root of what that, what's caused that behavior and making it better. Right. All right, my big question that's my favorite to ask okay. <laughs> is if you could meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, who could help you with working with traumatized children, who would it be? Um, well, this is the low hanging fruit for a minister at all times, right? <laughs> right. Jesus. Right. Um, and especially with the, sort of the genesis of a lot of my work kind of processing for myself was Jesus's ministry trauma-informed. Um, I, other than that, that's, it, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard question for me to answer because the people that have always been my ministry heroes, um, and maybe this comes from my own martyr complex and in some, in some ways, are those that are in the trenches and nobody hears about and nobody knows about. Um, you know, my mother, for instance, um, she's in her early 70s and has early uh, onset Alzheimer's. And so she's losing a lot of what made her my mom. And that's, um, but she's, she built a ministry at the church that she was at as a as a parish nurse and as somebody that visited those that um, were homebound and, and dying and, and nobody cared for and you know nobody uh, 
nobody ever shined a spotlight on my mom and said, right. here's an example of what we're doing. So I, I know that there are people that are working in homeless shelters. There are folks that are coming alongside women that have experienced domestic violence. Um, those that are, you know, helping those uh, recover from uh, human trafficking. Um, there's so many people out there that I don't, but I know I have so much to learn from. Yes. And I don't even know who they are. Um, and so if I could wave my magic wand, it would, um, rather than some celebrity or somebody that I really esteem, um, you know, maybe it, it occurs to me right now, you know, part of uh, Jesus's message was whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Yeah. So maybe it's a roundabout way of answering that question because I can't physically have Jesus sitting in the chair next to me. Anytime I have somebody, I'm going to get a little choked up. That's all right. No, don't apologize. It's beautiful. Um, anytime I can sit down with somebody that's doing that um, dirty, unheralded, um, messy work of coming alongside somebody that has been abused or neglected or just treated like garbage yes and um that for me that's uh, a really sacred time i had I, I gave a presentation at a uh, trauma conference and we were sitting at these round tables and you know beforehand we were having conversation and afterwards i said i think i met like saint teresa you know mother teresa um reinvented because talking to this young girl who was probably i don't know in her early 20s and talking about her role and her job was now college graduate but what she did was walked the banks of the ohio river in uh, northern kentucky right across from cincinnati which is where i'm in from in that area and she would uh find the homeless people and check in on them did they yeah. need water? And she would carry water with her and, and food. And did they need food? Did they need some place to stay? Did they need a shower? Did they need? And that was her job. And I just remember sitting there in awe, in awe of this person, thinking, yeah. "Oh my Lord! Like you are doing the role of, you know, what Christ would do. Um, yeah. Just beautiful. Yeah, very powerful. Yes. Yeah. So those. Um those are the people that I esteem and they're, um, they're never going to be those that write a book that's, you right. know, a bestseller or, um, or is esteemed by the, the church. Um, but they're the ones that, uh, there's, they are those that we really should be esteemed. Yes. Um, and I, um, so my heart goes out to anyone that's listening to this right now and they're, they're doing that work and, and, um, it's just human nature every once in a while to say, you know, what about me? You know, where's where's my recognition? I could use a pat on the back. Um, I, I would just like to give those folks a, a verbal pat on the back from, from you and from me to say, keep at it. Yes. And, you know, God sees what you're doing. And uh, thank you for it. Yes, thank you. It's beautiful. All right, one last question for you. And what is your dream job? And it sounds like you're doing it. Um, yeah, I think I am. Um, you know, my workplace, like any other workplace, comes with its own, you know, frustrations. Where you know, that's a 
an aspect of, of the, the trauma-informed stuff that we could work on is how do, how do institutions, how, how sometimes just the way we get together as human beings because we're, um, you know, we have our flaws that um, how do we perpetuate trauma by sometimes the way we allow systems to proceed relationship. Um, so it's not, it's not perfect, but um, I praise God that I can get paid to do something where I feel like I'm on the side of, of uh, something that is uh, bringing healing. And yes, to and shining, um, shining a beautiful light. Yes. And and so I, um, you know, I don't I don't take that lightly. And I, I've always been a bit of an idealist, um, as as well as being a perfectionist. And so sometimes that can cause me to see the flaws or to want to say we. We'd be doing so much better if, and and that robs something of the joy of the moment and the recognition of, of the good work that we are doing. And so uh, conscious of that, I I don't pretend that there's necessarily some other dream job out there. Um, I, it also reflects a little bit of my theology in terms of God's calling for us. I, I think, um, you know, God calls us sort of seasonally in our lives at different periods. Um, I've been doing this for the last six years, but I don't I don't think that what I was doing before wasn't my call uh, by God. You know, being a associate pastor in a you know in a church in, in Helena, Montana, that um, that was absolutely my calling in that moment. And so um, if anything, um, it'd be it'd be wonderful to um, to realize on a grander scale, some of your vision, some of my heart, um, that that could lift up this conversation, that that more and more people could be having it, that um, um, because it's uh, because the need is so great. One of the wonderful things of interacting with other people that are in this trauma affected work is that we're not we're not in competition with one another, you know. Uh, you know, somebody else's ministry doing well doesn't, it isn't robbing anything from, from my no, ministry. No. Um, and if we can work together, um, it would, it would be wonderful someday to be out of a job for there to be no need for a chaplain to children in residential care because of the, the adversity and the trauma that they've uh, encountered. And then I would find some other calling and I would do so happily. Yes. Um, and and that would be a it would be a wonderful thing to uh, uh, to no longer have there be a need for this sort of role. But until then, um, I feel like this is where God wants me. That's beautiful. Well, I want to thank you for being on air um, again. If people need want to get a hold of you, is there a w yeah. way that's best for them to you know continue this conversation with you? Um, yeah, they can reach out through that website, intermountainministry.org. Okay. Um, also, if they want to email me directly, um, it's just my first name and last initial, so they don't have to remember how to spell boy. <laughs> right. Just Chris H. So it looks like Chris. Um, my my uh, my son had a hard time figuring that out. They're like, why why do you have Chris? <laughs> so Chris H at intermountain.org is my uh, email address. So um, I I do get a lot. I, um, there's a lot of email that comes through my inbox. I don't want to make it sound like I get a lot of emails from people, but 
sometimes it can get lost in the shuffle. But I, I at least try to go through and flag the emails from people that um, that have a question or want to interact around okay. trauma-informed ministry, um, and I'll do my best to, to respond and encourage and and um, and build those relationships because that's what it's all about. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you again. It's been an absolute honor, um, and thank you for all you do to. You know, brighten the lives of children and shine that light of hope. So beautiful. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate this. And I didn't. I didn't think I was going to get so emotional there. No, it was no. I think that to me is such a beautiful thing. My kids, my boys. I have three kids. I have twenty-four-year-old son, a twenty-two-year-old son, and a twelve-year-old daughter. And um, I love it that they. When I the first speech I ever gave, my boys were there, and it was at a National Crime Victims Rights Week presentation downtown Cincinnati and so I'm standing up there and I look out and my my middle child Jake you know tears just rolling down his cheek and I almost didn't hold it together and right. because I was like oh my gosh he's crying you know if I cry he, or if he cries I'm gonna cry and yeah. I just you know later I I just think it's beautiful that um, you know when we can show our emotions and um, so thank you thank you all right, I'm going to do a little sign off here and then, but okay. hold on one second. Everybody, thank you for being with us today. And until the next time, be sure to be gentle with yourselves. Bye bye.